emergency room and said Arlene is stable and everything's fine. She's got a smile on her face. So that's good news. We're glad for that. Take your Bibles and turn with me, if you will, to, Ma- uh, to uh, excuse me, Matthew is what Dalton read. Uh, turn with me to Romans chapter 5 as we continue in our study of Romans and move to a new section. We have seen in Romans 1 through 4 the Apostle Paul building the case for justification by faith alone. He has shown that everybody, whether they are pagan, religious, or or moralist, or whatever, can only be justified before God in one way, and that is by justification, by faith alone, in Christ alone, whereby the righteousness of God is revealed, and the righteousness of Christ is imputed to them, is counted to their account, when they honestly have no righteousness of their own. Starting with chapter 5 and going through chapter 8, The Apostle Paul is going to begin talking about some of, if you will, the benefits of what it means to be justified by faith. What happens when a person is justified by faith in Christ alone? And what happens in that person's life? And so today we're going to look carefully at at verses 1 and 2. And quite honestly, we're going to look at verses 1 and 2 and mostly just verse 1. But we want to read them together because they, they stand sort of together and Pastor Todd, next Sunday, Lord willing, will continue the thought in those verses as he brings the message while I'm in Canada next week. You know, a number of years ago, Look Magazine, which is now defunct, but Look Magazine did a a, a whole feature article on different personalities entitled Peace of Mind. And they ask each of these personalities, what is it that, or how is it that you find or seek or pursue peace of mind, there were, there were, in the stressful world in which they were living, there were several interesting answers given. Uh, James Michener, the author of many best-selling books, said that he finds peace of mind by taking his two dogs for a walk along old streams and into fields that have not been plowed for half a century. Okay? Barry Goldwater, the former presidential candidate and, and senator from Arizona, uh, said this. He said that he finds peace in his hobbies. Uh, photography, boating, flying, and camping, but above all, by walking in the Grand Canyon, which just happens to be the Grand Canyon state of Arizona that he represented. Uh, Former most trusted man in America, Walter Cronkite, uh, finds peace in solitude, usually by going going to the sea by a small boat. Sammy Davis Jr. said he found peace by looking for good in people. And Bill Moyers, a television commentator and former press secretary to Lyndon Johnson, said he tried to find peace in a family reunion, usually in some remote and quiet place. Now, it's interesting that all these answers are different, but all these answers are extremely subjective. They're extremely self-centered to some degree. This is how I pursue it. This is how I look for it. This is what I desire to see. And, and the, the key point is what, what I want you to see here is none of them at any point asked that question, said, well, it's irrelevant whether we seek peace of mind or seek peace or not. And they told how they did that. The point is there is something innate in each of us that looks for and seeks some kind of peace 
whether it's a John Lennon singing Give Peace a Chance or whether it's, whether it's these people looking for it in these, these places of solitude and subjectivity, everybody at, in their life is seeking for some semblance of peace. Uh, that's why we had the response of reading out of Philippians this morning and the, the hearing the word out of Matthew chapter 6. It's because there Jesus is talking about how to find peace with God, what, what, or the peace of God, really, they're talking about there. And you do that by focusing upon Him and knowing Him and walking with Him. You do, you do that by letting your mind dwell on things that are the things of God, not just the things that are around you, not just the circumstances that you find yourself in. Each of these that, that talked about peace of mind to, to Look Magazine talked about something that was dependent upon the circumstances around them. And if it was not circumstantially good, then they did not experience peace of mind. Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. As Paul begins this section that we would break down chapters 5 through 8, he he focuses on three things that are benefits of, of justification by faith alone. He says, first of all, the first benefit is that you have peace with God. Peace with God. Secondly, he he puts that that justification focused very much so in all things in the blessings that we have. That is, we stand in his grace by faith. We stand in his grace. Not just something that happens at salvation, but something that is a continuation in our life right up to the very end. And then finally, it enables us to exalt or rejoice in the prospect of our future and final glorification when we see the glory of God and stand in the glory of God. Those are the three immediate things that Paul says are benefits for someone who is, has been justified by faith alone. But Paul makes very clear that this justification is just not by any faith. He says it is, we've been justified by faith through our Lord Jesus Christ. As I count, this is about the 11th time The Apostle Paul has used that terminology, our Lord Jesus Christ, or our Lord, or Jesus the Lord, or or Christ the Lord. Throughout these first four chapters, he used it about ten times in in recognizing and saying the name of the Lord. It, It seems like Paul is saying, I can never say that name too frequently. I I can never get over just relishing the name of the Lord Jesus Christ who has made me right with God, who has given me his righteousness, who has justified me by faith in the righteousness of God. It's as though Paul just over and over and over again wants to remind us that we rest in Christ alone. Too many people today put their trust in their faith. They believe that just because they have some kind of faith, doesn't matter what that faith is, just because they got some kind of faith, then everything is okay. 
Paul is making it very clear here that that faith, that is real faith, that is effectual faith, is only faith that is in the Lord Jesus Christ. It, your faith is dependent, and the, 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 the strength of your faith, the importance of your faith, is dependent upon what the object of that faith is. And often when we say we have faith, it's, a, it's more like we have faith in ourselves. Paul says, remember that name. Repeat that name. I, I guess Paul is probably thinking that we, along with the Roman Christians, are easy to forget the name. We're easy to forget that name and, and not speak that name regularly and not speak that name clearly. But rather, Paul says, I want you to remember, no matter where you are in your spiritual walk, no matter where you are, if you're a Christian, that Christianity, that faith is based upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Every time he mentions these glorious blessings, he continues to tell us it's through the Lord Jesus Christ. Just like he did the Ephesians when he said, we have received through Christ all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. The big question I think for us this morning is, uh, uh, do we like Paul relish and rejoice in speaking that name? Over and over. Clearly in the world in which we live. Clearly to those we have contact with. Or do we shy away from it? Let us be clear of one thing. While Paul is giving us benefits or blessings, if you will, of being justified by faith alone, Paul is going to make it quite clear that the primary business of the Christian gospel is not to give us blessings. It is to make us right with God. It is to make God huge in our vision. It is to make God and, and His great gift in Christ something that is, is beyond our greatest imagination to see that God is at work in all things. So he says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, when I come to that word, I always ask a question. I've told you it's important to ask that question. Whenever you see the word therefore, you ought to ask the question, What's it there for? Yeah, there you go. Why did Paul start this section with that word, therefore? It points back to everything he said in chapters 1 through 4 in talking about the, the source and, the, and the, the, the work of justification by faith. And he says, therefore, based on everything I've said before this, I want you to recognize and I want you to realize since we, he's talking to believers here, since we have been justified by faith through our Lord Jesus Christ, we have peace with God. Now, to say that we have peace with God is to imply at least, although it's explicitly stated in other places, it's to imply at least that there was an absence of peace with God, doesn't it? It's to, it implies that if we now in Christ have peace with God, there was a time in our life, there was a time in our existence when we were not at peace with God, when indeed things were not well with our soul, when indeed things were in a, in a warlike situation, an embattled situation. There was no peace, we had no peace. Not only did we not have peace with God, we didn't have, or peace of God, we didn't have peace with God. 
And so Paul says, I want you to understand, when you are in Christ, he's talking about God is at peace with us, and we are at peace with God. The communion between God and man, God and man and woman, that was broken by sin and broken by the fall in Christ Jesus has now been reestablished. Go back to the book of Genesis, to the Garden of Eden, you find that Adam and Eve walked with God in the morning. They, they had fellowship with God. They, they, they talked with God. They, they, they literally had this communion that was unbelievable. But when they chose to disobey God and, and, and they fell from their state of innocence and they fell into sin by which we became uh, inheritors of that sin nature, when that took place, all things were broken. And we lived in a broken world, and we live in a broken world today. You watch the news, you see our world is broken. Sadly, in the last month, if you watch the news about our Southern Baptist Convention, you'll see that our Southern Baptist world in many areas is broken. And we need renewal, we need revival, we need reformation, not only to doctrinal truth, which is vital and important and foundational, but we need, we need reformation of of moral truth and moral turpitude and understanding of what God has given us in Christ in order to be able to obey. And Paul begins here by saying, here's what you must first recognize. You must first recognize that if you are in Christ, you have peace with God and all the implications that will go with that. But it's important that we see that God, Christ in the cross, Christ in our redemption, is going about reestablishing what was lost in the fall, reestablishing communication between God and his creatures, man and woman, reestablishing that communion that is a precious and sweet and, and good communion of walking with him in faith. So what does it mean to experience this? What does it mean to be justified by faith and to have peace with God? How do you see that? How do you recognize that? How, how, do you, how do you know if a man or a woman has peace with God? How do you know if you have peace with God? What kind of questions do you look at in your own life? Well, I think there's several ways you can do that. I, I think there's several tests that you can see in Scripture that talks about how we can know that we have peace with God. And I think the first one is simply this, that, that the, the man or woman who has peace with God has their mind at rest about his relationship with God or her relationship with God. I, I think that's important to start with. Now, it's not a false rest and it's not a false peace, but it's a coming to understand that I have come to the cross, I have come to Christ, He has given me His grace and He has given me His righteousness. And because of that, my mind is at peace with my relationship with God. It means that a change has taken place in a person's thinking. It really does begin there, folks. We, we've seen Christianity in, in the 20th, 20th century and even in our own century so, somehow morphed into this, this emotional experience. It's just sort of a motive thing that begins from within. You get the feeling and it happens. But, but real Christianity, if you look at the scriptures, always begins with a change of mind toward our relationship to God, a change of mind about our sin and a turning from our sin and to Him. 
there's, there's no peace between God and man until this idea, until this understanding is grasped, this, this doctrine of justification by faith alone. It is the only way to peace, and it's only something that comes to the mind. It is a doctrine. It is teaching. And that teaching, that doctrine should flood and change every other area of our life. We live in a world that basically says, hey, all is well, don't worry. Songs have been written, be don't worry, be happy. You know, T-shirts carry that slogan around. People always say, hey, don't worry, be, just be happy. Well, that is not the way the world is. All is not well with the world. All will not be right in the end if we just wait it out. The love of God will not be so overpowering that, that, that it can just... Uh, It'll just take care of everything and nobody will suffer any kind of punishment in the end. That is not the gospel. That may be the contemporary preaching of some who claim the gospel, but that is not the gospel and that is not the gospel message. And Paul wants us to be very clear on that. He wants to be very clear that it only comes through a right understanding of justification by faith. That's doctrine. What do you think about how you're justified? If you're thinking in your mind, I'll get it done. Some way, by the end, I will take care of this and I will, I will make myself acceptable to God. Paul says, you can't have peace with God. The war is still there. The enmity is still there until your thinking has changed. Second test, if you will, about this idea of peace with God is the man or woman who believes this truth and grasps it knows that God loves him in spite of the fact that he's a sinner, in spite of the fact that he's, he or she still sins. You know, we'll get to that in a minute when we talk about some of the, 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 the false uh, peace and true peace, but, but you've got to understand that this peace with God is still resting on those who are sinners. I know there's some who will say that you can become perfected in this life and some who can say that you can work your way through and get out of sin and not have sin anymore, but the scripture never gives that. A test of whether or not you're in Christ is to, is to really understand that God loves you in spite of the fact that you're a sinner and has called you in Christ in that state. We, we as Baptists for years have sang that old hymn, Just as I am without one plea. That your blood was shed for me, O Lamb of God, I come. We come as we are, recognizing who we are, and knowing that God's love is still upon us. And if we have been justified, we recognize that just because we do sin, we don't lose the love of God toward us, for us, and in us. The man who, or woman who's been justified by faith can also answer the accusations of their conscience. Have you ever thought about that? Your conscience will sometimes accuse you of the most unbelievable things. Your, your conscience will say, oh, really? I, do you remember what you used to do? Do you remember what you did a year ago? Do you remember what you did 10 years ago? You know, that, that's still there in the, in the memory and the, and the conscience sometimes will, will accuse us of things that and we'll try to get us to think, well, if, if that's true, if we did that, certainly we can't be forgiven. Certainly we can't be justified. Certainly we can't have peace with God if that sort of thing is going on. But, but it even goes a second step in that the person who really has peace with God 
can answer the accusations not of his, only of his own conscience, but also with equal firmness, he can, he can answer the accusations of the devil. How many times do I sit with people and say, you know, and they tell me what they're thinking, they tell me what they're worried about, they tell me what they're, they're struggling with, and I say, you know, you know who wants you to believe that way? And usually they're very clearly saying, well, yeah, it's Satan who wants me to believe that. I know in my mind it's not true, but I'm just feeling like it is. I, I love John Newton's great hymn. I, I quoted this a couple of places this past week, and the title of the hymn was Approach My Soul, the Mercy Seat. And verses 1 through 1 and 4 are, are so pertinent to this. He said, Approach my soul, the mercy seat, where Jesus answers prayer. There humbly fall before his feet, for none can perish there. Then verse 4, Be thou my shield, talking to God, praying to God, there at the mercy seat. Be thou my shield and hiding place that sheltered near thy side. I may my fierce accuser face and tell him thou hast died. John Newton, who before his conversion had been engaged in slave trade and traffic, he had been a vile sinner and foul sinner in so many different ways you can't even count them. There was scarcely, he, he, by his own admission, uh, in his, in his uh, essay he wrote, uh, The Chiefest of Sinners, by his own admission he said there's hardly, there's scarcely a sin that he had not committed. You can understand how the devil and even his own conscience could, could rake up all sorts of things against him. But Newton said, I want you to know God is my shield, God is my hiding place, God is my protector. I did all these horrible things in the past, yes, but I've known the mercy seat of God. I have, I have come into the, the, the presence of God. And when my fierce accuser faces me and says, how can a Christian really have ever done that stuff? I tell him, it's because you, O oh Lord, died in my place. One who has peace with God can answer the accusation. Also, a person who has peace with God and has a true grasp of this idea of justification by faith alone no longer has a fear of death, no longer has a fear of judgment. They know that they are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Remember Augustus Topley's great hymn. We sing it all the time. We most of us think either the Gettys or Sovereign Grace or somebody wrote it because it's, it's, it's done. But it was written by Augustus Toplady hundreds of years ago. And Toplady said this in his, in his song, A Debtor to Mercy Alone. Remember singing that? He said these words, The terrors of law and of God with me can have nothing to do. My Savior's obedience and blood Hide all my transgressions from view. Hide all my transgressions from view. Here's the thing about justification by faith and, 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 and being at peace with God. The, this idea of, of justification is kind of like a, a compass. You 
if you were a Boy Scout or I assume a Girl Scout or any number of organizations, if you're in the military, you had to learn how to use a compass. There's one thing about a compass. No matter how you turn it, no matter how you move it, no matter where you put north and south or east or west, the compass always points to true north, doesn't it? Magnetically, it's drawn to true north. Now, you can look at the compass, you can have it turned in such a way that it's pointing true north and it says, it says S on it. You say, well, that says it's south. No, you just got the compass held wrong. You got to move it around. The truth is, faith is very much like the needle of a compass. It's, it's always pointing to magnetic north. But if you take a compass and you place a very heavy magnet, a very strong magnet at some other location close to it, it, it will pull that, that needle around. It will draw the needle over to it and cause it to swing back and forth as you move that, that magnetic field away from it. and so It'll flip back and forth. It, it's, it's very unstable if you have a strong magnetic field near it. There's a lot of strong magnetic fields in our life. We call them temptations. We call them, we call them things that seek to lead us astray. We, we call it the world, the flesh, and the devil that's always fighting against us, staying true north in our faith, staying true north in trusting Christ at all times. But it's certain that when you remove that magnet, the compass will always go back to true north. That's why Scripture says, you know, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Magnetic field, move away. That's why it says draw near to God and God will draw near to you as a promise of what God will do in your life and in my life. So the mere fact that, that we may be tempted to doubt, the mere fact that we may have to struggle and, 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 and struggle with sin at times in our life, and go over the whole question again and again, does not mean that we've not got faith. In, in one sense, it's a proof of faith. Because faith is not naive. And faith is not shallow. Faith is looking to the one who is true north at all times. And it's always moving back to that position of rest. When, there's a, when a person has true peace with God, because of justification by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone, there's always an element of assurance of faith. It may not be full assurance. There may be some doubts in there. There may be some struggles in there. But there's always an element of assurance. Because the Holy Spirit has filled us and the Holy Spirit has, has sealed us and the Holy Spirit has worked in us. And the Holy Spirit is alive to draw us back to where we need to be before Christ. So, so those are some tests you can ask. But you might ask, what's the difference in false faith and, or false peace and, and true peace? What is the difference in when Paul says, if we've been justified, since we've been justified, we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What is the What's the characteristics of false and true faith? How do I, how do I, I've got those tests, but how do I know? Well, four things on each of those, and we'll be done. First of all, false peace with God is characterized generally by thinking of faith that it simply means believing, having an intellectual assent. There are a lot of people who say, oh, I'm, I'm okay because I believe there's a God. 
Yes, I would acknowledge there is a God at all times. I won't, I won't question that. I'll even go so far as to say, yes, I believe Jesus was God's son who, and that he came in the flesh. I'll, I'll acknowledge that. I'll accept that. I'll give that a mental assent. But James says that's not enough. That the demons in hell believe that and they tremble at it. And yet there's no salvation for them. It's a mere intellectual assent to certain propositions and truths. Secondly, a false peace is generally found to be resting on one's faith rather than on Christ. I, I alluded to that earlier. We can't just say we have faith and, and say, I have faith. Well, what are you talking about? What are you believing in? Are you believing in your faith or are you believing in, in yourself or are you believing in Christ Jesus and what he has done? You know, the old question a few years ago was on every bracelet and bumper sticker and everything else. People were going around, WWJD, what would Jesus do? I remember, I believe it was R.C. Sproul that said in one of his messages, he said, it's not what would Jesus do, it is what did Jesus do? And, and that's the real central question, that's the real point. Uh, a person who just puts their faith in some kind of generic idea of of faith is not, does not have real peace with God. Another characteristic of false faith is that, that might be somewhat surprising and unexpected. The man or woman who has false peace is never troubled by doubts. Because they won't let themselves be they won't let themselves struggle with issues. It's one of the that's one of the great tools of Satan is to say, hey, don't think about that. Don't worry about that. Don't consider that. Just go on saying you are okay. I'm okay. You're probably not, but I'm okay. And finally, another characteristic of false peace is that it's only interested in forgiveness, not in righteousness. Now think about that. False peace with God, false peace is only interested in forgiveness and not with righteousness. Do you realize if forgiveness were all that the cross did, it would not qualify you for heaven? Your sins might be forgiven, but to stand before a holy God, you have to stand before a holy God righteous. And, and, and the only way that, that that happens is when we are justified by faith, we are, we are imputed the righteousness of Christ, and even though we, we are still struggling in this world, that righteousness is the basis of our acceptance by God, and we stand in that. We are, we'll talk about that next week, standing in the grace now, standing in His righteousness right now. False faith, false peace, almost gets there it gets part of it but it doesn't get all of it and to get just part of it is not sufficient so what are the characteristics of true true peace well i i think the person who has true peace is one who who recognizes that god has delivered him out of darkness into light and they're never glib about it. They're never they're never shallow about it. They're serious about it. They they they're never lighthearted in the matter of 
of righteousness and, and God's grace. They take it seriously. They, they've got a glimpse of hell. They've had a glimpse of hell. And they, are, they know now that, that the only reason, the only fact that they're not bound there is because of the grace of God and the justification by faith of Jesus, in Jesus Christ alone. The person who has true peace is always filled with a sense of wonder and amazement. Sense of wonder and amazement. Remember the great hymn by, by Charles Wesley? We sing it occasionally, And Can It Be? And can it be that I should gain an interest in my Savior's blood? He died for me who caused his pain for me who him to death pursued? Amazing love, how can it be that you, my Lord, should die for me? When Wesley wrote that, he was just standing in awe and amazement of the grace of God that brought him salvation. He wasn't saying, Lord, I'm here because I'm righteous in my own right. I'm here because I think you owe it to me to give me salvation. Lord, I'm here wondering how in the world this could be. How could this happen? Because of my sin, because of my rebellion against you. It would seem inevitable that the person who has true peace with God is one who never ceases to be amazed at what God has done and, and, and is doing. And, and the fact that he or she has been justified at all. That God has ever looked upon him or her and called them by his grace. See, that's the, that's the important part of recognizing the, the amazing work of God. Which leads to a third characteristic, if you will, of true faith, and that is the person who has real peace with God has a sense of humility, a sense of humility. They're humble. You find that to be the most outstanding characteristic of a true Christian, that he or she is humble. Jesus talked about it when he said in the Beatitudes, blesses the poor in spirit. Now, a lot of people look at that and say, blessed are the poor. But it's the poor in spirit, it's the humble. Blessed are the meek, blessed are the gentle, and so on and so forth. A real characteristic of, of true peace with God, true justification by faith, is humility. And, and humility comes from this. It comes from realizing the truth about ourselves and about God and realizing that we owe it all to Christ, not to ourselves. We see God is holy and, and we are not. And we see that Christ has bridged that it's to say that there's a sense of gratitude to God and to our Lord that's always prominent in the thinking of a person who's been made at peace with God. Finally, the man or woman who is truly justified by faith in Christ alone and has peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ always a person who's careful about their life. Careful about their life. 
they really do analyze on, on the basis of what, what Christ has done and what Christ has called us to. Now, they're not careful about their life because they think by being careful and, and not pursuing things they shouldn't pursue that that will bring them justification. But they have been justified, and so they're careful about the things they pursue. They've given peace with God, and so they want to be obedient. They want to follow. In other words, they don't fall back into, into works mentality. They don't try to justify themselves. But their position is that because Christ is, what Christ has done for them, they want to show their gratitude by pursuing holiness in their life. By pursuing godliness. Paul says... Perhaps the most important thing, perhaps the most important thing you need to recognize if you're in Christ is that you, have, you now have peace with God. And we'll get to it later, but the two passages I had the, uh, the responsive reading and, and Dalton to read this morning come because I want you to see the peace with God ensues with the peace of God. That when we have peace with God, when the, the battle's no longer raging, when the war has ended, when the peace treaty's been signed, then God by His Holy Spirit begins to work in our life and give us not just peace with God, but the peace of God. And, and Paul's letter to the Philippians where that, that was read during the responsive reading makes that so eminently clear. He said, listen, here's, here's being careful about your life. Whatever things are good and right and pure and good reputation, let your mind dwell on these things. The peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds. We live in a day where peace is an elusive thing, whether it's on the world front or in your personal life. We live in a day where only by understanding the, the mighty work of God in your life can this become a reality. As we sang, are you thirsty in Christ? And quench your thirst. Are you empty? Christ is all that can righteously and rightly fill you up. Come to him. Quit trying to do it yourself, religion. Quit trying to, to think that you can be moral enough. Quit trying to do it any other way except through coming to Christ alone. Let's pray together. Father, help us see that those who come to Christ in faith have peace with God. Peace that cleanses. Peace that also imputes righteousness. Lord, make us more concerned with righteousness, your righteousness, 
and with mere forgiveness. And help us, Lord, to walk in you. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. As we stand together this morning, we